Right. The educational system needs to be changed. The the testing, the pay, the funding, the class size. And these are things that we have to use our vote in mm. order to change. But the teachers in our audience can't wait long enough for that, that difference to be made. And so I feel like the tips and strategies we give help them to make tomorrow better. But I am 100% committed to using my voice, my vote, and my platform to help get bigger change that teachers are desperately in need of. Hey there, I'm Amber Harper, former burned out teacher turned teacher burnout coach, dedicated to helping other teachers like you to grow through your burnout and take your next best steps toward what you want from your career in education and in life. After an embarrassing emotional breakdown in front of my teacher besties, I knew something needed to change and that something was me. I decided that I wasn't going to settle for burnout as my sentence as a teacher, mom, wife, or friend. And I knew it was going to take way more than practicing conventional self-care to make the progress I wanted to make. No amount of manicures, bottles of wine, or bubble baths was going to save this girl. Fast forward to a few years later, and I've used everything I've learned about teacher burnout and personal development to write a book, build a course, and lead a community of burned-in teachers who refuse to settle for a life of burnout as their forever reality. I've used my burnout as an opportunity to become an active participant in my life, in the classroom, and here on the mic, using all that I've learned to teach kids and serve teachers. And you can do the same. The Burned In Teacher Podcast is one part burnout and all other parts action, inspiration, and support to help you grow through your burnout and live a happier, more fulfilled career and life. So take a deep breath, my friend, because you're about to take your next best step to becoming a Burned In Teacher. Let's dive in. Hey, hey, Burned In Teachers. Welcome to episode 178 of the Burned In Teacher podcast. My name is Amber Harper. I'm your host, and I'm creator of all things Burned In Teacher, and I'm so grateful and so excited that you are joining us for today's episode. You just heard the voice on the intro of Jamie Sears. She is actually a podcaster that I have listened to on and off for years. And if you've never heard of Jamie Sears and the Not So Wimpy Teacher Podcast or the Not So Wimpy Entrepreneur Podcast, I would be really surprised. But if you've never heard of or met Jamie Sears, uh, she's a former third grade teacher and the creator of Not So Wimpy Teacher. She has an education blog with half a million community members. Like, She is so extremely helpful. She's got literally half a million people that follow her. Uh, She really wants teachers everywhere to know that if they're struggling, it's not because they're ineffective in their role or meant to do something else. So she wrote this book called How to Love Teaching Again, Work Smarter, Beat Burnout, and Watch Your Students Thrive. So you know naturally I was drawn to this book because I think that it would be an amazing companion read to hacking teacher burnout. So Jamie used her skills. I'm going to give you a little prequel into our interview or a little insight into our interview. So you'll learn that she was a teacher for several years and due to health reasons, she had to leave the classroom. But you're going to hear her tell the story of how she saved herself from 
burning out of teaching and quitting by creating her own resources to keep things super simple in her third grade classroom. And that really led to a booming business on Teachers Pay Teachers. Now, this episode is not about how to create a TPT store, you know, how to sell products online. This is really all about her journey as a former substitute teacher um, while she was become while she was lobbying in Washington DC and how all of these things came together to really ignite her passion to become a teacher in the first place. So she's going to share her story of burnout, how she became a burned in teacher and what it is that she does now and will continue to do to help teachers from around the world. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Jamie Sears. I can't wait for you to hear all of the goodness that she has to share from her book. Uh, This book is releasing on April 4th, and this episode is airing on April 1st of 2023. So this is the perfect time for you to either pre-order the book or order the book when it comes out on April 4th. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target.com. So get your hands on this book for this summer along with Hacking Teacher Burnout, these books are going to be an amazing complement to each other. And you're going to hear exactly why in this episode. So let's dive in. Well, hi, Jamie. Thank you so much for joining us on the Burn In Teacher Podcast today. Thanks, Amber. It's really a pleasure to be here. It is so, so nice to meet you in person. Uh, So before I have you introduce yourself, um, listeners, I listen to Jamie's podcast. Like, I I don't know if you know this, Jamie, you probably don't, but your podcast has helped me both as a teacher and a teacherpreneur. So first of all, thank you so much for letting me fangirl a little bit by having you here on the podcast because I've learned so much from you. Well, thank you. I am so glad. And I love hearing that the, you know, the hard work we do to create the content, it always feels good to know that it helped somebody out there that we weren't talking to ourselves. Yes, absolutely. So now that I got that out of the way, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I became a teacher as a second career. And when I started teaching, I was teaching third grade after substituting for quite a while. And I did not have any resources in my classroom. We did not have curriculum at all. It was, uh, we were just starting the Common Core. They didn't want to put any money into it until there was something better created. So waiting it out. And so I turned to TPT for my resources to just to teach. And as a first year teacher, that was really overwhelming. And I quickly realized that I was not going to be able to afford all the resources my students needed But I thought, how, if I could just sell a couple of resources, I could make a little bit of money to buy more resources for my students. And so I started Not So Wimpy Teacher. And that's kind of how it began. It it just took off from there. I was going to say the rest is history. (laughs) Yep. And so we, we do sell resources for teachers in grades two through five, but we also create professional development and really super excited to have published a book this year, How to Love Teaching Again, because this was really something I was passionate about. And I feel honored that I got the time and the space to be able to finally make a bucket list dream come true. Oh, well, we are so, so excited to hear about the book. I, in particular, because I've also written a book about burnout, and I think these will be perfect side-by-side summer reads, <laughs> honestly, because we talk about it in different capacities. I think they're going to be really, really well paired together. But first of all, can you tell us about how long you taught? Did you only teach third grade? Was that the only grade that you taught? And um, then how long did you did you end up teaching? 
Yeah. So I did substitute teaching for 10 years and then I moved into long-term subbing towards the end where I was long-terming in second grade exclusively and I loved it. And so I finally came to this decision. I was like, I am going to teach second grade. And I asked the principal for that position. And she said, I'm going to give you third. And at first I was like, no, I said second. I was passionate. I wanted second. But then once I started teaching third grade, I loved it. I love that age group. For the most part, they can read. And so you get to really just introduce like fun new books and authors to them. And they still love school, but yet you pull out crayons and they're super excited. So it just mm-hmm. felt like this perfect age group for me. And I mean, I came a long way because in the early days, I did not want to be a teacher at all. And it's just something where it just grew on me. So I taught third grade for four years until my physical health made it really, it made it challenging for me. And it it got to the point where it was really hard for me to leave, honestly, because I was at my best when Mm -hmm. I left. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, maybe that's a good thing because I left while I still have like really positive memories Mm -hmm. of what I was doing in the classroom instead of leaving like angry and burnt out and frustrated. Mm -hmm. But I was sad to leave because I'm like, I finally got these systems in place, but I have epilepsy and I was starting to have a lot of seizures in class. And it just felt like it was unfair to my students at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was unable to drive. And so I had to make a really difficult decision that ended up to be so positive. It gave me so much time and space to continue to make resources that save other teachers tons of time. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, if I can save them time, then maybe they can cut back on the number of hours they're working and avoid some of that burnout. And so I feel really privileged to get to do what I do, even though it wasn't the plan in the beginning. Right, right. Oh, I, I, I did not know that about you. I did not know that that was the reason that you essentially left the classroom, but wow, what a gift that you're able to give teachers to have had that experience in the classroom and for you to have been a teacher who lacked in those resources and who saw an opportunity to help yourself, to help your students and to help other teachers. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I love to be really open about like what experience I have and I don't have because there's so many teachers in my audience who taught for a really long time. And then there's a bunch of first year teachers too. And it's important that we, that we learn from each other's strengths Mm -hmm. so that we can help improve the areas that we're weak. But the reality is every single teacher has some strengths. And for me, it was always systems and making things simple. That's uh-huh. just been a strength of mine since I was young. And I took that in to the classroom and I saw so many teachers coming to me saying, Hey, what are you doing here? And then that's where I realized there was a little bit of a need. Yes. Yes. I love that. I feel like we're sisters from another mister. Cause I am the same way. <laughs> I love simplifying. I love creating systems. I'm, I'm totally a systems and logistics girl. Um, and I think that's one reason that I love teaching kindergarten so much and have continued to love teaching is because I'm able to simplify, see the most important things and create systems for those things. Absolutely. So I don't know if you know this about me, but I taught second and third grade. I taught second grade for two years, third grade for three years. And I, I share your heart for third grade. I loved, loved third grade. So I thank you for sharing that too. I feel like they get to fourth grade and I would see them in the hallways and they would almost like snub me. And when they walked by, yeah. like, we're in fourth grade now. We're really too cool to talk to you. But there yes. was just something about third grade where they weren't too cool yet. Right. And I, it was just so much fun. I wrote about in the book that mm-hmm. it was really the only time where you'd get asked like, Hey, what's your third favorite uh, reindeer? Yeah. And I'm like, my third favorite, <laughs> you know, I just, 
<laughs> I just that's love hilarious. it. Kids will make you laugh every single day. And that's why I wanted to be a teacher is because I really liked spending my days with kids. Yeah. So you said pressing. that you, you started teaching, you know, later that that wasn't your first career. So was substitute teaching your first career or what did you do before that? I was, I started substituting in college. Actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's and awesome. I, I kept doing it as a part-time side gig and just took little pieces of time off, but I actually went in um, to politics and I was a lobbyist for the Arizona state Supreme court, which what I thought I really wanted to do with my life until I started doing it. And I was like, working with adults is not that much fun. (laughs) I actually enjoy my days with the kids more. And so I went back to school to get my teaching certificate and just focus completely on education. But I do think that my experience working as a lobbyist, my experience with politics, it helps me because I think like you and I can give teachers so many tips and strategies to help beat burnout. Mm -hmm. But the problem is the system, right? The educational system needs to be changed. The, the testing, the pay, the funding, the class size. And these are things that we have to use our vote in -hmm. order to change. But the teachers in our audience can't wait long enough for that that difference to be made. And so I feel like the tips and strategies we give help them to make tomorrow better. But I am 100% committed to using my voice, my vote, and my platform to help get bigger change that teachers are desperately in need of. 100%. You're speaking my language. We don't have time to waste on waiting for somebody to come in and save us because who yeah. knows how long it will be if it ever Yeah, will teachers happen. are leaving so fast. Right. We have to and, save ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And so a teacher who really, really wants to be a teacher, I want to help them figure out how not just to stay at school, but to stay at school and love it. And love it. Yes. Oh, I love this. This is a perfect segue. So before we start to talk about your book, and I cannot wait to hear more about it, can you tell us in your four years of teaching or even when you were you were substitute teaching, did you do you have because this is the burned in teacher podcast, we Mm -hmm. love to share stories of burnout and how we came out on the other end stronger. Um, did you, did you have a burnout story at all? Uh, Was it that first year where you had no resources? Like what, what did that look like and feel like for you? Yeah, I nearly burnt out my first year. And I see this happening a lot in my audience with first year teachers too, because really you're just like set in this classroom and they're like, all right, Mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my first year of teaching, I had four kids at home and I really went into teaching scared. Like, can you be a good teacher and a good mom at the same time? Someone in my family had told me no. They actually said, you will suck at one of them. And so that's how I went into teaching, fearful. Which one am I going to suck at? Because I don't want to either. I'm passionate about being a teacher, but I am a mom and I love my children. So I started in no resources. I got my job right before school started. So I was working day and night, every weekend, every holiday break. I took lesson planning and grading with me on a family vacation. Oh my goodness. I really was working myself to the brink. And I remember just sitting at my kitchen table in tears. Mm-hmm. And my husband was like, you need to call someone at school and figure out what's going on. Cause I can't, I don't know what, I don't know how to deal with this because it was so bad. Mm-hmm. And I even went to the principal and she at one point said, if you want me to, I will go ahead and, you know, nullify your contract if that's truly what you want. And there was a time where I, I really considered that. I was like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe Mm -hmm. I was not cut out for this as a substitute. It was hard as a substitute, 
but resources were given to me. Mm-hmm. And I got to leave the classroom at the end of the day and not really worry about the classroom at night. And I realized as a full-time teacher, that's not what was happening. I had no resources and I worried about my students, my lessons, everything all the time. Mm-hmm. I quickly realized this wasn't sustainable. And I'm so glad I realized it as fast as I did. Cause I think a lot of teachers start to have that burnout and they just keep getting deeper and deeper. I realized it pretty quickly. And I was like, either I leave teaching, I'm going to walk away or I'm going to do this. And I am going to lose myself in it. And I don't, neither are very good options. And that's when I started to ask myself, like, how can I make this easier? And I realized I've always had great skills at simplifying things. So I just need to lean in to what I already know how to do well. Mm -hmm. And I made some huge changes in my second year and it got so much better. It will never be easy. Teaching is so hard. Right. Other than being a parent is the hardest job out there. But there are things that can make the day a little less chaotic. There are things that can cut back on the workload. Honestly, there's a lot of things that are happening in the brain telling me like whether or not I'm good enough. Mm. That was a lot of pressure on me. And so I nearly gave up after one year. And we actually see teachers generally leaving between years one and three. That's extremely common. And these are great teachers who wanted to be a teacher since they were five and and have a heart and would have been sensational if they had found maybe some tools or if the educational system had not been failing them. Oh my, so true. So for the listeners out here of the podcast, you know, like, you know, the type of burnout that it sounds like Jamie was, and it was burned and unbalanced, like working all hours of the day and night, you know, 70 plus easy hours, you know, weekends all the time working. And my story, my burnout story started my first year of teaching too, but not because of being burned and unbalanced. I was burned and over it. I was really being burned out by the negativity and the toxicity of my team that I was placed with those first two years of teaching. It was miserable. And I can totally relate to that feeling of like being thrown to the wolves essentially and saying, here you go. (laughs) And trying to navigate that is so extremely difficult. Yeah. I talked about in my book, I called them the negative Nellies. Yeah. And even if they're not your team, which I hope they're not, the negative Nellies are out there in education. And it might be the teacher across the hall from you. It might be your administrator, but there's so many negative Nellies that can bring you down. And for me, I also never felt good enough. I had these super high expectations for myself and I never felt like I was good enough because I was a first year teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, because I'm a first year teacher, I'm probably not doing this well enough. Everyone else probably knows how to do this better than me. And I was scared to ask for help because I didn't want them to know that I was drowning. Yeah. I thought they'll think I'm a terrible teacher if they find out. Later I found out, no, they're all struggling in their own ways, even teachers who've been there a long time. And it that was actually a little bit comforting, although the flip side of it is. So it doesn't get better. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you have to make it better for yourself. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about your book. Now, I, I do have a quick question. So how long have you been doing um, Not So Wimpy Teacher, Not So Wimpy Entrepreneur? Like what year did that start and how long have you been doing it? Oh, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary, wow. actually. Congratulations. Um, yeah, it, it <laughs> flew by so fast because we've been so busy. And 
really for most of it, it was just me like barely treading water, trying to create the resources I needed for my classroom the next day. And so like staying up late into the night, creating it. And then so many of the resources I created, I never had time to like add teacher directions or password protect it. So it wasn't violating copyright, all these things. And so I couldn't put them in my store. And later when I did leave teaching, I was like, you know what? My heart is so dedicated to education. And now I'm going to just, you know, switch my focus on to like, what can I do to make other teachers days a little easier, lives a little easier, save them a little bit of time. So I went back and started really working on what resources would save someone time. And that's like huge. We're always looking for what's simple. Mm-hmm. And that's really been what our brand is about. What can we, how can we simplify something? What subject are teachers really struggling with? How can we simplify that subject? What's a time of year that's really hard for teachers? Let's simplify that for them. And so really been a huge part of our brand, but we always knew that they needed more. Mm -hmm. They were always asking us for help, for more, for more, for more. And I knew in my heart of hearts, I had to write a book. But I don't have to tell you, it's a big undertaking. It sure is. <laughs> right. Book. And um, so I started reading during the pandemic. And so finally, it's been a two and a half year project. So finally, the book is available. And I think that it it just fills a little bit of a hole that was always missing. Yeah. Oh, well, you already answered my next two questions. I was going to ask you, you know, what inspired the book? When did you start writing it? How long has this been going on behind the scenes? So um, so the book we're talking about is How to Love Teaching Again. And so, Jamie, can you let us in? Can you give us some insight into what teachers will learn when they get this book? Because I know they're going to want it. Yeah. Well, I... I wanted it to be really practical. I wanted teachers to be able to read a chapter of this book and take that strategy to their classroom tomorrow because they know Mm -hmm. time is of the essence right now. And so the first, very first chapter, we dig into like what it means to be a good teacher because usually teachers haven't actually thought about that and decided for themselves. They've let other people tell them what it means to be a good teacher. We listen to society or maybe even our administration and being a good teacher means working long hours, getting high test scores. It means having a Pinterest worthy classroom, having all these fancy activities every day. The good teacher is always working because she does it for the kids. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to challenge teachers to say, let's like write our own definition of what success will be for us. Mm-hmm. And I challenge them to work fewer hours because I'm noticing loving teaching works hand in hand with having a life outside of work, whether that's for family, hobbies, church, organizations you care about, or just sitting on the couch watching Netflix. If that's what brings you joy, that's when you can come back the next day rested and happy and healthy. And so we dig into the book on strategies to save you time, work fewer hours, set boundaries and feel good about boundaries. Cause even the word boundaries kind of makes me like, Ew, I don't like that word. Yes. <laughs> and even just how to make your day in the classroom a little cha- less chaotic. Cause when you go home, I don't want you to be so exhausted you can't enjoy your life. So it's just simplifying some things because it's teaching will always be hard, but it's like, what things can we simplify and just make a tad easier, a little bit here and a little bit there. I'm hoping we'll make a big difference for teachers. Oh, 
I am so excited about this book. And I love that in the first chapter, you again are speaking my language. Like we've got to tackle those beliefs. We have to tackle your mindset and because nothing's going to change unless we change those first. I love that you say that because sometimes people get a little like, and I talk about this chapter, I don't like things to be too foo-foo. And right. so I'm like, a lot of times on a book or a conference, someone's like, we're going to talk about the definition of success. I tune out because I'd be like, ah, we're getting foo-foo here. <laughs> but I've come to realize that as long as we think being perfect is what it means to be a good teacher, as long as we think it's like working all the time, then it doesn't matter what strategy I give. You're always going to feel like it's not enough. Right. It's when you decide, you know what success for me means helping students find a love for learning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now every day you can ask yourself, what did I do today to help even one of my students fall in love with learning? Yes. Did you read a new book? Did you do some kind of an engaging activity? Did you have like a one-on-one conference with a student and you saw them light up over their work? Now you can put a check mark on this and feel like, okay, I am successful. But as long as your goal is like all my students pass this test and that test, and I work 60 hours per week, you're always going to be unhappy. It's going to be so difficult to find the love for your career if you're basing it on things you don't have any control over. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything you said, 100%. So if you could pick your favorite chapter, I love asking you this question because so many people have asked me that about my book. So if you could pick like your favorite chapter or your favorite topic that you tackle in this book, like which one as the author was like, maybe not the easiest to write about, but just really just poured out of you. So, so simply. Well, chapter four for me is like, kind of like my bread and butter. Chapter four is just like tips and strategies for making your classroom less chaotic during the day. Mm -hmm. And for me, I love that chapter because it is so actionable. And I put so many tips and strategies into that chapter that became the longest chapter. But I am a very practical person. I just want a like, what can I do to make this happen? So there's no foo-foo there. It's like, how are we going to make pencils easier? How are we going to make bathroom breaks easier? How do we make centers easier? Oh my gosh, they can be so exhausting. How do we make differentiation easier? These are all things that can weigh on our shoulder or just like make our day a little bit more stressful. But I will say one of my favorite strategies is just, it's so simple, but it really changed things for me. Mm -hmm. It's falling in love with your least favorite subject. And so if you have a subject that you don't care to teach, I mean, you might even just hate teaching it, then it's hard to enjoy your day because you got to teach that subject every single day. And I hope it's not the only subject you teach, <laughs> but for me, I taught every subject and I loved to teach math, which was kind of crazy because I wasn't good at math as a kid. I was just going to say, okay, Miley's favorite math, hands down. Okay. I love teaching right. writing, love teaching reading, oh. love teaching phonics, love all of that. Yes. See? Math, Every teacher, I'm like, cool. a little different. Yeah. <laughs> See, I loved math. I think partially because there's always a right answer. I don't yeah. know. I wasn't good at math as a kid. And so I love the neither, way kids are being taught that. now. It just like, it speaks to me. It was easy to make engaging. So math was going really well. Now I love to write. So I thought mm-hmm. I'm going to be the best writing teacher because I love to write. I write all the time. I got into the classroom though. And the kids came to me and I'm like, is it writing great? And they're like, no. My kids didn't love teaching, didn't love writing. And I found that just because I love to write does not mean I am good at teaching someone to write very different skills. And so I quickly started to despise writing. 
And so I would purposely take longer with reading groups and math groups. And I'd be like, oh no, we ran out of time for writing. Oh, <laughs> tomorrow. We'll do it tomorrow, guys. And I mean, I feel terrible about it. But as I talk to my audience, they're all like, oof, we do the same. Same. Thing. Yes. I used to do that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I started, I asked myself this question and I really encourage your listeners to do the same. What am I doing in the subject that I love to teach that makes it work? And this is no time to be humble. Get out a notebook. No one has to see it. But really, what are you doing that's so great? And I did that for myself. I wrote down, like, what's going well in math? And I'm like, well, I teach in units of study. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not just teaching a fraction lesson one week and not talking about it for three or four months. Like, we teach fractions until we feel comfortable with it. And then we move on. And I said, oh, I teach in small group in math. And that helps me to differentiate for all my learners. And then we have centers. And those are really engaging and provide review. And then I was like, Oh, I provide choice in math. And I just, this list kept going on. And then I said, what of these things can I bring over to writing, which isn't going so well. Now, all of them don't transfer over. We don't have writing centers in my classroom. There's not time for that. And I really want them to be writing most of the time. But there were so many that carried over. I was like, well, I should teach in units of study instead of one week writing opinion and the next week or writing a letter to the president. And the next week, that's what I was doing. I was just doing writing projects, a new one every week. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to do a unit of study. And we're going to stay there until students feel confident. And small group, small groups work really well in reading and math. Why the heck am I not using them in writing? And it was just like, duh, I'm going to try using them. Mm-hmm. My writing instruction improved and I've just felt better because here I'm now I'm teaching writing the way I love to teach math. And so I'm already having more fun, but then I see my students start to have more fun yes. and their writing gets better. And I'm like, oh, So when I take what I'm doing well in one area and implement it in another area, I saw so much growth. And it's so simple to just schedule yourself 30 minutes to just sit and brainstorm what's going so well in one area and how you can carry it over to another. You might be surprised, but also having the guts to try a few new things in that subject area that's not going well. Because as long as I hated writing, there was always going to be this portion of my day that I was dreading and disliking if I want to love teaching every single day, I can't have like a part of my day be something I dread over and over again. Absolutely. And I think a huge part of that is that taking ownership of it, you know, and saying, I dread, you know, and like for me, I dread teaching math. So mm-hmm. what can I do about it within my control to love it? Because no one else is going to, I'm not going to find a magical PD. <laughs> that, you know, no, no administrator, you know, nobody is going to hire the perfect math professional development leader that is just going to change the game for me. At least not in my 14 years of experience has that ever happened. <laughs> so I have to go out and find those answers myself and really, and every teacher is so different. So what might mm-hmm. be inspiring to one teacher isn't to another and that's okay. It takes a village and takes all kinds. Um, so we have to, we have to go out there and find those answers for ourselves. So unfortunately, yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, I wish that I could somehow have this magical button for teachers because yeah, you don't have a lot of time to go out there and find the answers. Exactly. But mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that the simple solutions are really close to you already. The reasons mm-hmm. that you love to teach reading and writing. I bet when you start listing them off, there's a couple that you're like, Oh, I don't really do that in math. I wonder if, mm-hmm. and I'm hopeful that there's simple solutions. And that's what the book is all about is finding things that you already have within you. Just 
quick, simple adjustments that might make something easier for you in the classroom and save you some time along the way. Because as long as you dislike teaching a subject, it's also really hard to lesson plan your your activities for that yeah. subject area. You don't feel as confident. When you go to do reading and writing, you probably feel very confident about what your students need and what comes next. But with math, you might feel a little less confident because it's not the subject that you feel the strength in. And it's okay to have a favorite subject, but you don't want to go dreading a subject because it takes the love out of teaching because you're going to have to do it every day. Math is going to happen. And if every day you dread it, then it's hard to have fun in the classroom. Your students sense it. I was just going to say, and that that affects student achievement, that affects all of this affects student success. Burned, you know, having being a teacher who's burned out, that's going to affect your student success. It really is. And that's, you know, ultimately why we do what we do is to see our students succeed. Um, I have so much to say about that, but I want to focus on on you. So is there anything else about this book like that you'd like to share with the listeners today? Yeah, we talk a lot in the book about saving time and something that I wish that someone had taught me way earlier in life Mm -hmm. is how to better plan my time and ditch the to-do list. Mm -hmm. So we all have a to-do list. I mean, I used to keep a sticky note, um, on my like lesson plan binder and just keep adding stuff all day long. And so I'd have this huge list. And when it came time, for my planning time, whether it was a prep period or after school, before school, for me, weekends, nights, holidays, mm-hmm. whatever it was, I'd take a look at that to-do list and I had no idea where to start. It was so overwhelming. And I always felt unproductive because there's no way I could get everything done on the list. So if I looked at the list, I'm like, you know, maybe I crossed three things off, but there was right. 15. So that signals to my brain to tell me you failed. You did not do a good job. You didn't get it done. You're never going to get it done. Right. So it's hard to sleep at night and feel good about your job when your head is telling you stories like that. And a big change that I made, and I still use this in my home and my professional life now, and it makes all the difference, is scheduling when I'm going to finish something, not work on something, but finish something. And so every Sunday I lay out my planner and I break down the tasks into micro tasks and assign a spot on my calendar for that micro task. So for instance, maybe I have uh, writing samples to grade, okay? Instead of writing on my to-do list, work on grading writing samples. If you do that, you don't know when to feel good about it. Basically, your head's going to tell you, you can't feel good about this until you write. You finish every single one of these writing samples, which that can be a lengthy task. And I don't always have a big enough chunk of time to get through them all at once. I'm probably gonna have to come back to it a few times, which my brain is telling me you're not getting anything done. Yes. Which is a crazy story that my brain wants to tell me. So instead I break it to micro tasks. Well, if I've got 24 rating samples to grade, you know what? I'm going to get six done during this specific time slot, maybe from three to three forty-five. I'm going to get six writing samples graded. I'm going to write that down, grade six writing samples. Now I can celebrate and feel productive when six of them are graded, even though I still have more, we're not going down the road of how many more we have. We just told our brain that its job was to grade six, got six done. Now we can celebrate. This actually provides momentum Mm -hmm. for the next task on your calendar. Like, oh, I get to cross off the six writing samples. Now what's next? 
So breaking down your tasks into micro tasks and then putting them on the calendar in a specific time slot that you are going to be able to finish that task. If the time slot's not large enough to finish the task, break the task down even smaller because you know we work in like tiny sprints of time. Like I've got from three to three thirty, but then I got a meeting and then I, you know, yes. and so there's not usually this big lengthy amount of time and that's okay. Just break those tasks down into smaller pieces instead of work on, work on, work on that mm-hmm. never works out for me. And I still sometimes will find myself going to write on the calendar, work on this slide deck. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Create 10 slides. Yes. But my brain knows exactly when it gets to celebrate. And if I make 11 or 12 slides during that time slot, like I'm going to feel like a superhero. And so I get, my brain is getting that, like hit a dopamine. It feels really good. And it continues to motivate you through the rest of your calendar. Yes. I love that reframing, reframing and rephrasing a lot of the things that we say can make a huge, huge difference. I love, you know, my friend Molly and I, we both listen to you. And that is one big thing that we've taken away from one of your episodes is that say I'm going to finish. It doesn't mean completely finish the entire task or the entire project, but finish this much of it. My goal today is to finish, you know, this many or, you know, this, this amount. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. That's such a great takeaway. Yeah. And it works for, you know, even in your home life. Yes. Yes. If you have two hours to do chores around your house, then go ahead and write out exactly when you're going to work on what, instead of taking this huge list, it's like laundry, mopping, clean the kitchen, clean the bathroom, work on the closet. Like you're not going to get all that done in two hours. Right. Crazy talk. Or not having a list at all. And then having squirrel syndrome and bouncing (laughs) around from task to task to task. Right. Like I can imagine, you know, or I remember whenever I was, you know, a younger teacher, I would, um, because we had young girls, I would come in happily on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. We lived just maybe not even 10 minutes away from the school when they were really little. And so I would go in on a quiet Saturday or Sunday morning and I'd say, I'm going to go get some stuff done. (laughs) Okay. Do you know what that turned out to be was something so unproductive, like rearranging my classroom library. Like Mm -hmm. what? That is not- you probably added more to your to-do list while you were there I, I totally than you completed. Did. And that's I went why. into my room to do stuff <laughs> and it was worse off than when I showed up in the morning. Like it would have done me better to not be there at all. So not being intentional and disciplined with what yep. it is that I was actually going to do while I was there. And your brain probably told you before you went in that this was really good. You were going to be so productive. You're going to get all this <laughs> stuff done. But then when you went home, you probably felt like, Oh, I didn't get what much it, done. What did, I wasted my time. And so, yeah, why did you bother to go in at all when you go home feeling even less productive than when you left? And so uh, if you want to go in on a Saturday, that's as long as you're intentional, like you want to go in on Saturday, not yes. someone else is telling you you should, but if that's what you like to do, like you like the quiet time, I'm off work, work, work when you want to work, but be intentional exactly. about that. You decide when you want to work. You don't have exactly. to work weekends. But for some people, they like that peace and quiet and they want to rush home on weekdays because they got softball games and dinner and all the things. But when you go in on a Saturday and you've got two hours, decide like, okay, from eight to 8.30, I'm going to finish grading my math assessments from 8.30 to nine. I'm going to answer all of the emails I let pile up from nine to 9.30. I'm going to change out my bulletin board, whatever it is. So that, and be rigid, set timers. When the time is up, you move on to the next 
task. Yes. I love the Pomodoro method. Mm -hmm. You quickly start training your brain that it's got a time frame. It has to stick within it. So then you don't find yourself like scrolling through Instagram because you're like, well, I've only got this much time to get something done. And you feel so good when you get something done that you're really excited to tackle the next task because your brain loves that feeling of completion. Well, I cannot wait for this book to come out. Can you help us to know what date we need to get on the calendar so we can get this book in our hands as soon as possible? Well, you can pre-order anytime from um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target.com, but the book will officially launch on April 4th. Oh, that's perfect. That is when we're going to air this episode is, I believe, April 1st. So whatever that Saturday is close to, to April 4th. So that's going to be a perfect time to get people hyped up. This is the perfect time of year. We can build our summer reading list. Oh, I'm so excited for teachers to get their hands on this book. Thank you. We tried to make it super fun. Uh, Actually, my publisher kept kind of trying to make it like sound more like a textbook. And I was like, that's exactly what I don't want it to be. We do not not (laughs) need another textbook. I want it to be fun. So it's peppered with stories that help you remember the different strategies, but also just get a good laugh because Mm -hmm. that's good for you too. And so I hope that teachers will be able to read right through the book, but even if they don't have time for that, that you can pick and choose a chapter. Like this is what you really need to work on right now. This is make the biggest difference and just just read that one chapter and take one or two new strategies with you to school tomorrow. I love it. I love it so much. So Jamie, where can people find you um, if they want to learn more about you before this book comes out? Absolutely. You can find me at notsowimpyteacher.com and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram also under notsowimpyteacher. Well, Jamie, thank you so much for coming onto the Burden and Teacher podcast and gracing us with your knowledge and wisdom and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Amber. It's been lots of fun. I feel like I could sit here and talk forever, but I think your audience would not like that. They've got things to do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully we get to connect another time in another space. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, everybody, take a deep breath because you just took another step to becoming a burned in teacher. Burn on. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, you can head over to burnedinteacher.com where you can access the entire vault of Burned In Teacher podcast episodes and more information about ways I want to help you go from burned out teacher to burned in human. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would be so grateful if you would head over to iTunes and leave a review and a rating about the Burned In Teacher podcast. Until next time, take a deep breath because you just took another step to becoming a burned in teacher. Burn on.